Hey folks, welcome into On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Patrick Mooney and Sahadev Sharma. And uh, a lot of, I think, fun stuff to talk about this week, uh, starting with the reintroduction of fans at Wrigley Field. The Cubs and the city of Chicago announced this week that at 20% capacity, Wrigley Field will be open to fans for opening day. Um, with the possibility of, of growing that capacity from there. But at a minimum, it's it's a start. And I thought, um, you know, so long as it's done safely, which it certainly seems like outdoors, at a distance, limited capacity, all that good stuff, seems like it can be done. I That felt like a nice moment kind of to celebrate, especially coming as it does a year after things shut down in the baseball world. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, just thinking about... <laughs> You know, part of it is, I think, as media members, we're like, oh, man, fans are just going to make our hard, our jobs harder, right? Uh, like, we can't get down to the clubhouse. And then I'm like, wait a second, I'm not going down to the clubhouse. I don't I don't have to fight fans to get anywhere. Uh, but it, it definitely, I, you know, sitting, it, sitting in the press box last year, all the fake noise, all the fake fan noise. Yeah, it, it was it was nice to have that in a sense, but I mean, I, I think especially watching a player like Javier Baez, who the crowd just feeds off of, and vice versa, uh, it's just different and it's not as fun. And uh, as much as I wanted last year to really be the same thing and just be this be the same brand of baseball, I feel like it was it was very different. And the fans being gone was was a big part of that. So yes, getting back to some normalcy, just getting some some semblance of hey we're we're getting closer here and things are feeling normal uh once again is huge and and i uh you know i I think you know i'm heading down to arizona this weekend uh, to tap in for patrick so i think that'll add to it for me as well just even though it will still be different for coverage of spring training it'll be it'll be nice to to be in a different place and to and to kind of uh you know figure out what what's going on and and how we're handling things I think we've all over the last year uh, worked really hard to try to find the appropriate, you know, balance here and not trying to sound kind of tone deaf or insensitive or get too far uh, ahead of ourselves. And then uh, I saw Mayor Lightfoot had time to film two commercials on both sides of town at two different stadiums to announce this. So I was like, well, I mean, if she's hanging out with mascots, like, you know, we can make jokes about troughs now. I think that was kind of the green light that I got that, like, it's okay to acknowledge that good things are happening, that the conditions seem to be improving. Not that we're out of the woods yet, but, you know, you kind of have to be blind to not see that things are trending in a much more uh, positive and encouraging direction. Okay. You gave the green light. So I get to do it now. Uh, critically important. Now, was this, I mean, the Cubs presumably announced this, but can I say that this was broken by John Greenberg? Because that's who you were <laughs> citing, right, Mooney? In your in your tweet? I literally like read that sentence and just tweeted it out before I read the rest of the article. I did go back and read the rest of it, but he's, a, he's the best it. at like finding stuff like that that'll make people. Uh, so for, angry. yes, for anybody who is concerned, obviously the, the experience at Wrigley as fans return um, is going to be different this year. Uh, a very touchless experience when it comes to ordering and vending and uh, all of that. So 
a key question. I mean, I, I, I've got to believe everybody was wondering this is what happens to the troughs at Wrigley uh, for the, if, for those who do and don't know. I mean, I'm being sarcastic, of course, but in the men's restrooms at Wrigley, famously, there is a trough style experience for, uh, <laughs> experience. you know, experience it's quite for, experience. Expe- for expelling the contents of your bladder from all the beers that you drank. And in, in a, covid world what does the trough experience look like and i gotta say i was very happy to see that not only the troughs remaining but that there there's going to be what some kind of divider situation partition situation <laughs> I, just, I just love that we need a pandemic to suddenly decide that the hygiene is necessary for the trough of, of the splashback uh, is needed like we, we need some sort of blocking here to make yes. sure that people aren't getting splashed on by foreign <laughs> urine. <laughs> what what exactly is your trough experience? I mean, you just kind of like waving around, like, oh, this is a great game as he sways left to right. And I just, mean, have just, you been in the bathroom? Come on. I, I, it's well, not you know what? Most, can I? Can the I? People can aren't I be honest? standing up. <laughs> right. I'm gonna be honest. Just just among the the four of us, with Michael, our producer, as well. Nobody else will hear this. Uh, you know. The, the trough experience for me has always been quite challenging. I, I had to be about <laughs> seven or eight beers deep in order to, to really be able to fully experience the, you know what? I'm oh, just going to walk up and go. You got stage fright? In the, I, in the it's, it's a challenging experience. Like if the back, <laughs> there's there's stalls at the back. And if there was one yeah. open, I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to go for that. I so, don't know. I honestly am a little more creeped out by those stalls all the way in the back. What's going on back there? I don't I don't fully trust it. I'd rather just go all out with the trough. It's a bunch of scared guys like me <laughs> who are like, uh, oh no! I, I swear I'm pooping. I swear that's what I'm doing. I have to go for a stall. It's not. Oh oh, never mind. It doesn't have to happen. I guess I'll pee while I'm back here. Uh, ah. Oh, the oh, listeners! You, they you, they did not know they were tuning in no. for a trough cast, but uh, that that is the state. Hey, look, folks! You blame you blame John Greenberg for reporting this tidbit. You blame Mooney for highlighting it, and. For giving us permission at the start of this podcast. He's like, I think we can joke about troughs now. So, th- so there we are. Well, I mean, Brett, you planted the seed. I mean, you were like calling your shot on Twitter. So, you know, I was up all night like brainstorming ideas. <laughs> and I had two takeaways. One, I really wish like Larry David was involved in the Wrigley Field <laughs> renovation. Like what he did in his spite store, he could have totally reimagined it. <laughs> and then like... I don't know if you guys have ever been to, I hope it's still around the bar, like Streeters downtown. It's like uh, by the Red Line Chicago stop. But their setup is there's like a one-way mirror to where you are standing at a urinal and like you can see out, but no one can see in. And it's like the most amazing bathroom (laughs) setup ever. And I feel like the Wrigley bathrooms could have used something like that. I mean, since... You know, they built clubs where you can't actually even see the field. Like, you know, there's a whole, I don't know, crowd watching element there that I feel they, they kind of missed. Uh, that, man, that is I some thinking. That. Like, you could have had a view to the field while you're peeing. And then then Sahadev's point really would have come into play, right? Like, where you need the dividers because he's walking up there watching the play. And he's like, oh, that was a strike as he's flailing all around, micturating everywhere. Uh, all right. We good we good on that topic, my friends. That's good. I think I think we're set. All right. I'll save I'll save the mid roll for a little bit later for reasons that, that might become clear. I'll I'll work that in later. So we'll transition 
<laughs> I can just Michael's got his screen turned off, but I know that right now he's like, oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> all right. So a little baseball talk here in the trough cast. Um, I think that one thing that we have been noticing, and I, I don't know that to the extent that each of us have commented on this separately, but I think it's hard not to notice because it was um, something I think we saw last spring as well and into summer camp and maybe even going back before that. But um, Cubs starting pitchers, and it's somewhat a new crew this year, but there's still some overlap, seem to be very like um, efficient and successful early on in spring training when nobody actually cares about your results. Your results don't matter, especially if you're an established veteran. You're just getting in your work, getting your innings, building up your arm. Um, and yet so far they have just been wildly successful. Like everybody who is just tracking toward being in this rotation has, uh, from a both visual perspective and a results perspective been, uh, very successful. In fact, so much so that when Adbert Alzali had to, you know, was, was a follow-up starter this past weekend and really struggled with his command. I mean, that like stood out like, um, just crazy because no one who was again tracking toward the starting rotation had anything other than a yep perfectly fine appearance move on to the next and it got me thinking both about you know discussing whether that matters um but then also the line that we would use two weeks ago about like well they've got like seven starting pitchers but doesn't really matter because that sorts itself out and you know, they're not going to do this kind of rotation, this, whatever. They'll figure it out. Well, you know, it's March 10th now and everybody's still healthy. Uh, we're we're getting closer to the point where the Cubs are going to have to figure out, at least initially, what they're going to do with the rotation if they decide, for example, that this, even in a season where there's this significant bump up in innings, it's still best to go with a traditional five-man to open the season and then you adjust from there. Well, if they're going to do that, they got to figure out how they're actually going to accommodate that. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I think we can tell by at least a few of the starters that we've kind of that we feel are locked in have mentioned how I do better uh, every fifth day. They've kind of basically said that straight up to us. So I think it's. You know, beyond just what Tommy Hadovy has said and David Ross have said, like the players are indicating like five man rotation is pretty clearly the direction we're going. Just to clarify for that, for folks who haven't seen, you know, basically Ross and Hadovy have said, eh, we're not doing a six man rotation. They've just, I mean, they haven't, I don't know that they've said exactly those words, but they've basically said that. Yeah, I, I think a part of it is you want your best pitcher going every fifth day, right? This is a weird season, and maybe you'd you'd try and change things if you really can't uh, can't make that happen. Uh, but I think there's enough ways to to kind of give Kyle Hendricks or Zach Davies a break here and there. However, they're going to do it to kind of monitor their innings. That they'll find a way that's not skipping their start every, or you know, pushing, giving them an extra day's rest throughout the season or to start the season. It just doesn't seem like that's the track that they want to head down. Uh, but yeah, I mean, for me, I, I've felt that something had to go wrong for those first four spots to not be kind of locked in. Uh, with the guys that we know, Arietta, Davies, and Hendricks, and then Williams. Like Trevor Williams seems like it's and correct me if I'm wrong, Patrick, since you you hear more and, and, and have been kind of on this, but it just seems like he was 
he was brought in to make those starts. Like part of it was like there was an agreement between him and like there's an assumption that he had that he's making a lot of starts and that that's just what's going to happen unless something devastating happens with him in, in the spring results wise or, you know, injury wise. And, and obviously that hasn't happened as of yet. So those four seem locked into me. I, I for me, I'm most curious about what Albert Alzali is. Is he that guy at the end of the season? How many innings can he pitch? Uh, I mean, I don't know what like his total between majors and minors, his his high is off the top of my head. But especially after last year, we have to see what he can build up to. Is he a starter? What's his role? You have to figure that stuff out. It's it's very important. And we can't make any assumptions about what he is now or going forward. And I certainly don't want to just assume that last the end of last year is what we're going to get going forward. That'd be great for the Cubs. But it's also... There's a lot of unknown there with him. Yeah, it was it was hard to tell over Zoom yesterday, uh, but Ross was asked about Trevor Williams. Like, is he more in the Davies Arietta Hendricks grouping or the you know Swingman hybrid cluster of uh, Mills, Alzale, Shelby Miller? And Ross kind of left that more open ended than I think probably. Trevor Williams would have anticipated, uh, considering that when I had spoken with him after he signed, you know, his number one priority was a chance where he'd get 32 to 33 starts. And now the Cubs had a lot of appealing options to help that happen. And there was a, you know, personal connections there with his family's roots in Chicago. And I still think, as Ross conceded, that you know, he has a good track record of putting up innings and making starts every fifth day. So I still think he's their number four guy. I think given how weird this season is going to be, they're not, they don't want to box themselves into really anything at this point. I think the odds are someone is probably going to get hurt. Um, I think there's a you know a couple guys here who have had some recent injury histories. And, you know, I think the Cubs would love to see what Azalea, could do. I mean, he's been a guy for years. They've kind of touted as this fingers crossed pitching prospect. Uh, but I want to say the last time he cracked the hundred inning mark might have been like 2017, and that was like at Myrtle Beach on the class A level. So this idea of managing his engines and stuff like that—is he going to still be, you know, good to go in September? It's like he's got to got to make it through spring, through April, through May, and we still. Last I checked, don't know whether or not he has a minor league option either. Uh, yeah, Patrick, circling back to uh, your mention there of Alzali and the option situation. I mean, I think that I guess that's what gets my brain going when I watch all of these starting options healthy and performing. I think that we all know that it matters how a guy looks in spring training. And when I say looks like his physical readiness, his... Um, you know, where you think he is in his progression and building up toward the season. Um, you don't necessarily choose this guy for a role over that guy because he's, you know, hitting 500 in spring training or this guy has struck out a couple more batters. It, there's a lot more that goes into it that isn't game action. But uh, a big part of that that's like, yeah, I don't know, at times it's the most awkward part to talk about, but it's... Um, Year in, year out, it seems to dictate more than anything. It's it's the the availability of how you can maneuver guys and maximize who gets to stay in your organization. And so, you know, I look at situations here where 
like Sahadev said, you've got four guys who are in on traditional big league contracts who have been starters, who sort of have that feel of regular starters that, yeah, maybe Trevor Williams swings in and out of the rotation, but he was signed effectively to be a starting pitcher. Jake Arrieta signed effectively to be a starting pitcher. And then you've got the guys at the back who not only by virtue of questions about what their big league success will look like this year. And by those, I mean, Alzali, Alec Mills and uh, Shelby Miller, but also you've got contractual considerations. For example, uh, with Alzali, we still have the open question that Mooney referenced of, does he have that fourth option year available? We, uh, the reports I've seen, there's an arbitrator deciding it. Uh, basically it comes down to how the 2020 season is viewed for purposes of the fourth year option rule. It's like kind of an abstruse thing that I'm not saying that people didn't think of this time last year when they were hastily putting together that March agreement. Uh, but I think it was not, I think the sides didn't realize the implication of some of the language they were using. And so that's being decided. And frankly, if Alzali has that fourth option year left, uh, that's going to leave him as far as the opening day roster goes, probably on the outside looking in both because it would be very justifiable from an innings management perspective for him not to make the team right away. But then also because Alec Mills is out of options. Shelby Miller is on a minor league deal that you're going to have to pay him a retention bonus to keep him. If you want uh, to have him not make the opening day roster. And so I think that a lot is riding for the Cubs rotation decision, at least early on, on what happens with that fourth year option. And it's, it's, I don't know, like I said, it's weird. It's awkward for that to be a decisive factor, but maybe this year more than others, because guys are going to have limited innings anyway, maybe it doesn't really matter. It's like, everybody's going to get the innings that they're going to get in terms of what they can possibly carry physically and healthfully. Um, and so if there's an option available, Alzali is going to be up. He's going to get his big league innings. If he's ready to contribute, he's going to get the maxed out version of innings that the Cubs can get from him, regardless of whether nominally Alec Mills or Shelby Miller opens the season in the rotation. I mean, that's, that's where I'm sitting. And maybe I'm just getting myself too high on, on Miller as a potential bounce back guy for the Cubs, but I'm kind of digging what we've seen so far. Well, I'd like to talk about that as well. Miller, I mean, maybe Patrick has some insight there. I'm not sure if, uh, what, what's been said in, in Mesa about Miller and, you know, if there's any other insight available. But with regards to Alzali and just pitchers in general that are going to be in the minors, uh, I've been talking to some guys behind the scenes that they're like, they still have to pitch. There's the, there are innings that are going to be racked up in the minors as well that count towards that. So I do wonder how much... Does if if Alzali has that uh, option, if he ends up getting it, and the fact that there's no minor league season starting until May, d does that impact it as well? So he gets the option. It's like okay, we we don't even have to pitch him every fifth day out in Iowa. Now we can really control his innings here and and send him to the alternate site and really just you know control his work. He's under our eye. We, we know exactly what he's going to do. He doesn't have to retire any batters. He doesn't have to work through an inning. It's just keep him up to speed. Make sure he's ready to start in May. And we call him up when when uh, the AAA season starts or, you know, and, and he's and he's ready to to come help the major league uh, team. And it's and it's basically a month off of innings being racked up. Right. I, I think that would be that that would be a huge 
uh, boon for them, I think. I think they'd like to take advantage of that. I think that's something we need to monitor. How how they use the pitchers that they send down to the minors that are expected to help the team uh, over the course of the season. I, I'm, I'm curious how they, they manage those innings because you want those innings at the major league level. Yes, development is important and all that other stuff. Staying in shape and being ready to contribute is, is hugely important, but I think that's something to keep an eye on. With Miller, I agree. I've been intrigued by him, and and I heard good things about where he was last spring. Uh, I don't know how you know, and it's it's probably you can talk about that with hundreds of other players about the the layoff kind of just changed things, guys. That especially guys that were trying to make a comeback or anything like that. You get you get all prepared for this moment, and that you know how to kind of ramp yourself up and then everything kind of falls apart when, uh, you know, I mean, so much fell apart with the the league shutting down, but uh, just those guys specifically guys that were trying to make those comebacks. Uh, it And, and, you know, I think he had a, a young newborn at home, a lot of uh, factors that, that kind of uh, led to him saying, okay, I, I'm going to sit out this season. So I, I am curious because I did hear good things about him in, in Brewers camp last year that he looked good and he's, he's looked good. I mean, it, it's, I, I don't know if it's anything standoutish like it once was when he was a top prospect, but it certainly, it seems interesting. By the way, just for those who don't know, he's virtually the same age as Alec Mills. Just, just to like, I know we have these different concepts of guys, but they're basically the same age. Yeah, I was just gonna say that he's what is he like twenty nine, Brett? Just turned, just turned thirty. Thirty, and and yeah, I mean, feels like he's been around forever. I mean, he was, you know, he was pitching against the Cubs for the Cardinals, I think, in like the Dale Swain years. You know what I mean? And like <laughs> he said that last year you know, he was just kind of sitting in a hotel room in Appleton, Wisconsin, being like, what am I doing here? Like he had a newborn son uh, named Kyler who was just born uh, in a Scottsdale hospital. And he just felt, you know, really disconnected. Like, what am I doing here? Like I need to be at home, which is you know totally understandable. He said it was nothing against the alternate side of what the Brewers were doing. His heart just wasn't in it. And, I have to go back to the tape, but I'm pretty sure he said that the Cubs signed him without even, you know, having him go through like a showcase workout. Like they had seen enough video of him and trusted his, you know, track record to the point where they were comfortable giving him, you know, a minor league deal. And he was signed as depth, but, you know, he's a a big name uh, or was once a big name uh, with, you know, a first round pedigree. Uh, a one-time all-star that, yeah, I mean, you might as well just run it out and see kind of where you're at uh, by the end of March. And, you know, you make a good point too, Sahadev, that the the lack of a minor league season until May. So I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but perhaps people have already seen, you know, originally the plan was for AAA to start its season around the same time as the big league season which is understandably necessary for shuttling players. But then the pace of vaccinations coming on, the logistical questions about how you call guys up and down when they've been playing all over the country, um, it, it effectively made it make more sense to instead have an alternate site again for April uh, with a AAA type roster. And then the AAA season will begin in May along with the rest of the minor league season. And you make a good point there that that, while it stinks on a lot of levels, it also kind of artificially creates some flexibility for teams and how they want to manage 
the roster and how they might want to manage innings in a different way. And um, this whole conversation that we're having about the back of the Cubs rotation necessarily interplays with what they're going to do in the bullpen because it's it's very easy to say on the one hand, well, you know, Mills can pitch as a swing man and, and Shelby Miller could pitch as a swing man if you want to keep them both. And if Alzale needs to be up, fine, you know, we can work that out. Yeah, except the Cubs have a massively crowded bullpen competition too with a ton, ton of guys that you look at on paper and you see what they've done in recent years. The Cubs have done in recent years and you're like, I want to see what they can do with that guy. I want to see what they can do with that guy. And so you don't want to necessarily crowd those guys out because you're, you're having to spill over from the rotation. So um, in that regard, it is possible that the alternate site will actually um, help the Cubs maneuver this and manage innings a little bit better. And so I look forward to figuring out um, how this, the rotation is going to sort itself out. And Mooney's right uh, that, there is it's a horrible way to say it. I, I can't even believe he said this word for word, but there's <laughs> still plenty of time for guys to get hurt. So plenty of time for an asteroid to, yeah, uh, no, it's fine. You're, you're, you are, uh, you have my permission to bring up the doom and gloom because you let us go on about the troughs for 10 minutes uh, at the start of this. So uh, thank you folks for listening. Uh, this is on to Waveland Cubs podcast here at the athletic rate review subscribe get us wherever you get your podcasts listen on the app and we will be back at you next week uh here in cub spring training thanks take care